0: here with us this morning just want to remind you that we are in a series of messages that look at the imagery found throughout scripture the imagery of the vineyard the 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 blessings of the vineyard and uh, so many important lessons from God's word in scripture use the imagery of the fruit of the vine the vineyard the grape press the wine press of God's wrath it just goes on and on and we see Jesus teaching about Not only sheep and shepherds, but often uh, the fruit of the vine, the imagery of the vineyard. And we want to continue that series. Uh, uh, We'll be wrapping it up next week as we move into the Easter season proper. And uh, this morning I just want to share with you uh, a message uh, that I think is very applicable to the world we live in today. We live in a world today in which the new is, is idolized. And the older things, the old is looked down upon. And uh, you can come up, Isaiah. Come right onto onto the internet with that cup of cold water. I appreciate that. Now wave to the camera. (laughs) Well, I said cold. I spoke too soon. (laughs) But you know what I mean. Uh, Especially the old uh, advertising men, Madison Avenue. If you can tell us something is new, we will prefer it to the old or at least that's the thinking of our society i i, I laugh because uh, that was taken to extremes about 30 years ago when the most popular soft drink in the world what's it called ken coca-cola that's right <laughs> the most popular the best-selling soft drink in the world was losing sales to their competitor pepsi-cola And Coca-Cola said, well, you know, blind taste test people were starting to prefer the recipe of Pepsi, a little fizzier, a little sweeter, doesn't have that battery acid flavor of Coke that we all know and love. And so they said, what we're going to do is make new Coke. We're going to change the recipe of this old, esteemed, uh, traditional soft drink. And come out with new Coke. And what a great success that turned out to be. Do you remember that? Some of you are old enough to remember new Coke. And old Coke out the window, new Coke. And it fell like a lead balloon. It was rejected by and large. People, a few people liked it. It wasn't quite a Pepsi. It wasn't certainly like older Coke. It was just, it just wasn't that good. It was new but it wasn't good, so Coke scrambling as the years went by, they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to now, we have new Coke, we're just going to call it Coke, but then we're going to bring out Coke Classic, the original recipe. Well, over time, Coke Classic became Coke. New Coke faded away, disappeared, and the old came back. Sometimes to sell an older thing, you have to call it classic, vintage, which is interesting, a vineyard term vintage is something is vintage it's the year of especially good wine was produced something is vintage it's classic it is traditional it is it is like apple pie and motherhood it's it's just one of those traditional things we like you have to work hard to sell something old scripture says that human faith and religion can become like that traditional old-fashioned set in its ways kind of fossilized and when jesus came on the scene preaching the kingdom of god something never seen and something new came into the world something unexpected god had something amazing to do built on what he had done in the past coming directly out of it but completely new all the same in fact when we look in the Old Testament it feels like people like King Solomon the preacher of the book of Ecclesiastes felt that we will never see anything new. Do you remember those from the, that famous passage from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 beginning in verse 9 What has been will be again What has been done will be done again There is nothing new under the sun Is there anything of which one can say look there's this is something new it was here already long ago it was here before our time a pessimistic outlook that you can repackage but nothing will ever be new you're not going to think of something that's never been thought of before you can rearrange things you can uh, produce something built on the things of the past but nothing is going to be completely completely new very pessimistic outlook, but it's one that was taken to heart by the religious establishment. So today, I want to look at Jesus' relationship with that religious establishment and the fact that he brought something new, something fresh, something exciting that you and I can be part of to this very day. It's the old, old story, but in each heart and each life, God does a new and amazing work. So I've called today's message, Something New. Under the sun, I was tempted to make sun S O N because of Jesus, but Jesus uses uh, familiar imagery, and one of the images he uses to teach something new are those ugly images you see before you. Those are skins, those are goat skins, goats who have been. Skinned and their skins have been sewn together because in the ancient world, this was the preferred method for carrying uh, in light. If you had a big stone or clay amphora for liquids, that was one thing. They used them mostly on ships, but to carry on camels or on your back, they used... Goat skins, And Jesus uses the image of a goat skin to put new wine in. He says, you know, we know the familiar image. If you put new wine in an old wine skin, it's going to burst and you're going to lose everything. Jesus talks about the compatibility of new and old, but that's some images of some old wineskins because once they're old, they've been stretched out by the new wine, but over time, they harden, they get set in their ways, they get set in place, and there's no more elasticity in those wineskins. And that really, Jesus, with a vivid picture like that, cut to the heart of that that uh, clash between Old religion, it's set in its ways, no matter that it's from the true God and based on God's word, became set in its ways, and the new work, the fresh work, the fresh wind that was blowing in the ministry of Jesus. Well, let's look first at the fact that the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they rejected by definition anything that was new. New was bad. Nothing new was accepted. So when Jesus comes along, they see a man who's... Appears to be a rabbi, but he's something more than that. He calls himself the son of man, and he claims God is his father, making himself equal with God. In fact, he begins to do things that only God has the authority to do. For instance, forgiving sins. Uh, claims the temple as his house of prayer. So when the temple needs reform, Jesus reforms it personally with a whip in his hand, tipping over the tables of the money changers, and it blew the minds of the religious establishment. They said, who is this man? What right does he have to do what he is trying to do? We see this especially in Jesus forgiving sins, that amazing story of the friends lowering the man through the ceiling to have him healed, the paralytic, to have him healed by Jesus. Matthew's account of that found in Matthew chapter 9, the first eight verses we read, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. That would have been Capernaum. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up. Take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. Something new had happened. The authority to forgive sins was right there in their midst in Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus also cleansed the temple. And in Mark chapter 11, after that event, the religious leaders came to Jesus with this question. It says they arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you authority to do this? The temple as his own, Jesus was doing something new and it was rejected. Even healing someone in the Sabbath began a movement against him, not only to oppose him, but to take his very life. Now it becomes clear in Jesus' teaching and scripture following that he didn't come to renovate the temple. He didn't come to revive the law of Moses. We see that Jesus didn't come to mix old and new. In fact, Jesus teaches that the old and new with the parable of the wineskins and the patch of cloth, they were fundamentally incompatible. The new may have been built on the old, but it couldn't be mixed together to make the old fresh. The new was new. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus uses that powerful picture. We see it beginning in verse 16, Jesus says, and this is interesting because it comes about the context is Jesus' disciples following him. They were going with him to people's houses to eat. They attended wedding feasts and so forth. And uh, the people said the, the disciples of John the Baptist are like their leader. They they fast and they're very stoic and they're they're very kind of almost seem like they're in mourning, where your disciples are celebrating, they're happy people, they're joyous. What's going on here? Something new is afoot. And Jesus tells them this. He said in verse 16, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. And then he uses that picture of the, vine, the wine skin from the vineyard. Neither do men pour new wine into old wine skins. If they do, the skin will burst and the wine will run out and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins and both are preserved. Jesus says God's doing something new. And he says the old things, the old way, the old religion will not be able to contain it. God is going to need new wineskins. I believe prophetically he's speaking of the church of Jesus Christ. God's doing something new in the world, not just through his people Israel, but beyond into the nations, the Gentile peoples of which we're part of. God is doing something new. And the old and new in this case are not compatible. One may be built on the other, but grace is not law. Jesus says don't mix them. For instance in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 17 we read, "For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ." The law came through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. There's a, an image that I saw as a young boy of two mountains. One was Mount Sinai. Moses with the Ten Commandments. That's the law, God's perfect law, which people were called to follow, but we learned very quickly that we couldn't. We're lawbreakers by nature. One, Mount Sinai, was the what God commanded, what God demanded of man. The second mount was Calvary, upon which stood the cross. And that was the mount what God provided through Jesus. He provided grace. You can't mix the law and its demands, earning God's pleasure through fulfilling the law perfectly with grace. God providing the gift of salvation. It's like you write names on the tags on Christmas presents, and you know I've shown pictures of my beautiful wrapping abilities when it comes to Christmas presents. One thing I can do pretty good is write the name of the label to who from whom. Okay, and and but imagine if instead of a, a name tag, no matter how pretty you made it on the gift, you put a bill. <laughs> okay, here's what I spent. Here's your here's your invoice. You know, I take PayPal, I take, you know, cash, you know, however you want to pay for this. And you'd say, what are you talking about? This is a gift. This is grace. You can't demand payment. The payment's been made. Jesus is saying you can't mix the two. Law is law. What God demands and grace is what God provides to meet the demands of the law through his perfect son, Jesus Now, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2 and chapter 3 much more in just a little bit. But I want to draw your attention to one verse in this regard. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul wrote, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If people could be saved by obeying the law, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come because there was a way of salvation but we couldn't Paul said there's none righteous no not one for all all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we know we sin because God's gift of the law without the law we would not know that we needed a savior <clears throat> so Jesus when he came and did something new in our midst Jesus he fulfilled the old covenant Upon built upon the giving of the law, he fulfilled that perfectly. Jesus was the only one of us who ever perfectly fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the old covenant and he initiated the new covenant. The covenant is that saving agreement between God and man. And Jesus brought the new covenant through his sacrifice. Matthew chapter 5, Beginning in verse 17, we read, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus says, I don't throw it out. It's from God. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And Jesus, in his ministry, in his earthly life, accomplished it. He fulfilled the law and provided the perfect sacrifice called for by the law, for the wages of sin is death. Jesus fulfilled it and said, it is finished. And he initiated a new covenant, a new way, not by obeying and following the law, but salvation through faith. This new covenant, though, was instituted by Jesus' sacrifice. Remember Jesus in the upper room at the Last Supper saying, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. The new covenant began. It wasn't formalized by the shed blood of bulls and sheep and goats, but with the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, the perfect Lamb of God. And this covenant, as we said, Paul writes in the book of Galatians. Why did he write the letter to the church in Galatia? He wrote it because it was a young church. They believed the message of the gospel. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus. But then false teachers came and said, no, faith is nice, but to really be saved You need the law. You need to live like we Jews following the ceremonial laws, the food laws, throw away that shrimp, get rid of that pork sausage, whatever it is, you have to follow the law. And Paul writes this letter and in no uncertain terms says that is a lie. That's a false teaching. We're not saved by the law. No one could be saved by the law. All we could be was convicted of our sin by the law. That's what law does. It convicts you of your law breaking. Salvation is only through faith in Christ. And Paul writes, for instance, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. He says, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, how they were often referred to. He says, we know that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in jesus christ so we too have put our faith in christ jesus that we may be justified by faith in christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified and i said well then why did god give the law in the first place what's the point of the old testament it lays the foundation for the new covenant as I mentioned earlier, you can't know you need a Savior until you know you have a need. We're convicted of our sin through the law. Before the law, we were we were ignorant that we were separate from God, that our ways were sinful. And the law revealed that, but it couldn't save us. It could just convict us. It was like a teacher. In the book of Galatians, Paul calls the law. He uses a metaphor. He says the law is like your teacher as a child. It teaches you and raises you up. But he also says the law is like a prison guard. You're locked in jail, the law of sin and death. You are convicted of your sin, and you are going to jail. You are separated from God. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, for instance, he says, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come. We are no longer under the supervision of the law. Friends, as believers in Christ, something new has happened. We don't live according to the law. We live by faith in Christ alone. The law has brought us to Jesus. We were, our sins were revealed. We knew now we need a Savior. So finally, I want to just wrap up by encouraging you a few points about the new covenant. The new we like what is new. I ask, what's new about the good news? What's new about the new covenant? What's changed? What's different from the saints of the Old Testament time? Well, first, it is new. The book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, reminds us in verse 4, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Literally translated that we may walk in the newness of life. It's all new. And God's about the new. In Sunday school this morning, the teacher referenced Revelation chapter 21, where we see a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem coming from heaven like a bride, the church. And God says, behold, I'm making everything new. Well, friends, you're part of that process now. The new heaven, the new earth, and the bride of Christ is present in and through you in this old world. A world that thinks nothing new will ever come. That religion is all about what you do, ceremonies, trying to appease an angry God, trying to earn God's favor. It's all just like the law. But friends, God wants to do something new in you and through you. One thing that's new is that there's not many paths to heaven. Jesus came when he claimed, he says, I am the way. Jesus tells us that he is the only way of salvation. Look at John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts chapter 4, we read, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's new. It's in Christ alone, not in good works. Not in going to church, not in going to a religious establishment. It's in Christ alone. Faith in him. He is the only way. And we're told in the past, in the old way, God wrote. He wrote his word first on tablets of stone. And then over time, uh, as he revealed it through his Holy Spirit to men of faith, they wrote down the word of God. We have that recorded for us in our Bibles in the Old Testament. But even in the Old Testament, places like Jeremiah chapter 31, God says, one day something better will come. The new covenant will come. And my word will be in your minds and written on your hearts. The time is coming, declares the Lord. Well, I will make a covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. We have the word of God dwelling within us. And that can become a reality in part through memorizing God's word. We take it with us. We are the word of God for many people. Imagine that. There are people around you every day. They've heard of the Bible, but they've never read it. They've heard it quoted maybe now and again, but they really don't know what it is. And they have a lot of misconceptions. They'll say a lot of mean things about it. But as the word of God dwells in your heart and your mind and he lives it out through you, you become that word for them. They can read the truth of it. God's love for them and his grace in your life. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. Not only that, but the Lord has set within us his Holy Spirit. Reading through the Old Testament, as we do beginning of every year, you see how the Holy Spirit could come upon people for a specific thing or a brief time. Even King Saul, who was such a disappointment as the first king of Israel, early in his walk as king, the Holy Spirit rushed in upon him, and he prophesied with the prophets And an astounded people, they said, Is Saul, son of Tish, now a member of the school of the prophets? We know God's Spirit could empower Samson and others for great works, but it was just briefly. But Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, He wants to take up residence in your heart and in your life. We've been given the gift of God's Holy Spirit. In the upper room, as Jesus shared with His disciples in John chapter 14, Jesus says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then he gives them his peace. God's Spirit, the peace of Christ. We have so many blessings as we walk in the newness of life. And all of it to be summed up. Something new. You've been adopted through faith in Christ, into the very family of God. Something that nobody ever hoped or dreamed of is that you could be, in reality, a child of God. Heir of God, co-heir with Christ. You are a child of God. In John chapter 1, we read, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And that is what we are. As John says again in First John, his letter, John says, How great is the love of the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what? we are. He's just filled with the joy of it. He says, children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. They don't see the family resemblance as God's spirit dwells within you and you walk in newness of life because you've been saved by faith and through faith you have been joined with Christ. The law has been fulfilled through his perfect life. It's fulfilled in you. We've died to sin as his crucifixion was in our place. And through faith, we have, too, been raised with Christ to new life. It's all new. Something new has happened, and it continues to happen today in you and through you. Around you, there are people who are still stuck in the old model, the religion. That's a thing people do. It's kind of weird, and they're trying to earn God's favor They don't know we've been set free from the law of sin and death. We're free indeed. And we're called to live a new life, a life of faith and a life of love. That's what God's calling you to do today. Go out and live that new life this week. Share that hope that we have with the hurting world around us. I'm going to pray that God speaks to us from his word. And as I do so, the worship team will join me on the platform for a final song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, you have done something new and wonderful through Jesus. Father, we thank you that we can live in the newness of life. And Father, I pray that that life will overflow in joy from our hearts as your word is in our hearts and minds and flow into the lives of those around us as we love them with the love of Jesus and share the hope we have from what Jesus has done for us. Lord, as we finish this morning, I pray that you will send us with joy into our mission field, whether it be at home, at work, or at school, or to share God's love with anyone who crosses our path. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.